It's the morning, and I'm getting my bearings on a dusty dirt road in El Cajon right by a small airport. I walk towards a door blocked by a burly security guard. Is this guard. the entrance for Outco? Yes. Okay, I'm here for an interview. I'm here. I'm waiting to meet a scientist at Outco, a cannabis dispensary and grower in East County. I'm here to see where the cannabis industry is headed and how science might play a role in its future. But first, I want to get a tour of the place. I've never been to a dispensary in the States. So Virginia, Virginia, Virginia director of communications, nice shows me around. So patients come in, they come into the waiting room, they register and check in, and then one by one they're taken through to the um, dispensary to have a one-on-one interaction with the butt tender. Sorry, did you say butt tender? I did. <laughs> She brings me into a room filled with glass cases, teeming with cannabis products I didn't know existed. In this case, it's all of our concentrates, so hash, rosin, shatter, and keef. And then if you step over here, in this display case, you can see our tinctures. I kind of feel like a kid in a candy store, but where I don't know what any of the candies are. Uh, We have specialized tinctures for pets and for people with sleep issues, infused teas. Uh, This is a uh, lubricant or a sensual cream. Most of these products are made in-house from cannabis grown right on the property, just behind the dispensary. And I'm not here just to admire Outco's products. I want to know how science impacts the cannabis industry here in San Diego, given that it was illegal for so long. Like there weren't scientific journals and conferences in the U.S. on how to grow an illegal substance. So this is an industry that hasn't had the benefit of years of scientific research into how to most efficiently grow the crop, minimize synthetic pesticides, and maximize growth. Who is the scientist in charge of the plants here? And how are they going to shake stuff up? This is Rad Scientist. Where the scientist becomes the subject. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. Meet Allison. She's in charge of Outco's cannabis production. I am Allison, no. I am Dr. Allison Justice. A scientist whose roots in the agricultural business span generations. Uh, I grew up in South Carolina. 
um, basically in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my grandparents were cotton farmers. Um, my mom had an ornamental tree farm, about 200 acres in Georgia. Uh, so I basically grew up around plants and on tractors and uh, getting my hands dirty. Um, I tried to deny and say that I didn't want to be in horticulture, and I went into veterinary science, but I quickly went back to my roots. Allison got a degree in horticulture at Clemson University, and after college, she went back home to work on her mom's farm. You know, they had me doing the hard labor. I was doing everything from pruning to digging the trees. She missed the days spent in a lab at Clemson studying peaches. Also, the summer heat was a bit much. Yeah, after um, 90 degrees consistently in Georgia um, all summer, yes, I want to get back to the lab and learn more. <laughs> so it was back to the classroom for Allison, this time to get a doctorate in horticulture. That's what I wanted to do is you know, increase yields and help farmers, but you do it scientifically. She studied a problem that you might be familiar with. If you've grown plants, you know one of the main challenges is keeping away bugs that like to eat your plants. When you start growing at the scale of farmers, the problem can get really expensive. There are some pests that if you get a few in, they completely take over your crop. And when you do get that pest, you expect to just clear out the whole room or the whole facility and start over. That's millions of dollars down the drain. By using poinsettias, she tested out a more natural way to keep away pests. Rather than using synthetic pesticides like Roundup, she tried applying what she calls natural pesticides, organisms that eat the pests, mostly mites and worms, that are deployed like a hungry army to protect the crops. This method is called biological control. And, you know, if you do it the right way, it's just as good as synthetic chemicals. Biological control can be a way to save money and a way to go organic. So Allison's expertise was highly sought after by many different kinds of farmers. But she never thought she would end up working in cannabis production. In grad school, cannabis was not on my radar. Um, you know, I supported it from afar. I didn't ever grow it just because, you know, in South Carolina, I didn't want to go to jail for five years. Um, but once I graduated with my PhD, I began doing consulting um, in greenhouses across the nation, mostly for pest management. And a lot of the same pests affect cannabis as they do poinsettias or tomatoes, whatever else. Um, and so I started getting calls from cannabis growers to help them with their biological control program. And, you know, I always made sure it was legal grows. Um, you know, the first couple of times it was a little frightening because I didn't know exactly what to expect. But, you know, once I got into those grows and saw what was going on and saw the dire need for, um, you know, the technologies in agriculture and the methodologies in agriculture, you know, standard operating procedures, you know, it was very clear of, you know, the help that was needed and the opportunity. You know, after a few consulting jobs, talked to my boss, my current boss, and uh, he offered me an opportunity, and so I moved to California. At Outco, Allison is hoping to use her green thumb and her green science for another green enterprise. Her goal? Increase Outco's yields. Allison leads me to a conference room with a large window that looks down upon a yellow-tinted room filled with cannabis plants. This is where Outco started, version 1.0. 
we go downstairs to take a look at the setup. So we're going into the room that we were looking down on. So keep in mind this is what a traditional cannabis grow looks like um, and what we are moving away from. When we go inside, we have to take a lot of precautions to keep it sanitary and free from pests like small insects, bacteria, and molds. Um, booties. Yes, so you guys could slip these on first. Okay. We wear lab coats, booties, and black gloves. So these are our ladies. We have all female plants. We don't want male plants because then they bring pollen. They pollinate the flowers, and then we have seeds. And nobody wants weedy, uh, seedy weed. Version 1.0 still looks pretty impressive to me. There are at least 500 plants, green-leaved with purplish buds, and they're packed in a racquetball-sized room. And let me tell you, this room was a feast for my senses, mostly my sense of smell. This one right here is called Grape Pie, and if you want to give it a little squeeze, smell your fingers, you'll see why it's called Grape Pie. Yeah. It's very sweet. Oh my god, that really does smell like grape. Right? Yeah. So that's a combination of, you know, potentially hundreds of different terpenes to make that one distinct smell. Terpenes. These are the chemicals that make lemon smell citrusy. They give you that sweet, sweet coffee aroma in the morning, and each cannabis strain has a unique mixture of these chemicals that gives it its signature aroma. This one is called Blackjack. It's one of my personal favorites. Um, it has a lot of myrcene in it. People like to say it's gassy, as in car gas. Um, so give this one a little squeeze and see how it smells. It's pretty incredible how spot on the name is for the smell and how different each strain smells with names like diesel and fruity pebbles. But Allison really wants me to notice the limitations of this grow room. And one of the things she keeps pointing out are the yellow high pressure sodium bulbs that provide light for the plants. They put out a lot of heat so they can't get too close to the cannabis and they have to hang high above the plants. She says these lights are just part of the industry's dogma, and it's time to test out which light sources are really best for cannabis. Because we're growing indoors, and that is the plant's sole source of energy. And there are so many types of light that, you know, that was the first thing I wanted to figure out. To hear how Allison more than doubled the output of Outco by fiddling with the lighting, stick around after the break. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry, the Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcasts and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. Allison wasn't happy with the status quo of cannabis cultivation. One of her first projects was figuring out which source of lighting was best for the cannabis and most efficient for the company. 
The results are evident in version 2.0 of Outco's Grow Rooms. We head there next. Let's, uh, let's see the new updated room. Okay. This were MTV Cribs. This would be the cue for Allison to say. This is where all the real magic happens. Two weeks ago, it looked just like the first one you saw, but we're clearing out our old rooms and making them now look like this. Not one, but two rows of cannabis stacked on rolling shelves. Hanging just a foot or so above them were strips of small LED lights, and they emit very little heat. That means that the lights can hang closer to the plants. And now Allison can fit two levels of plants in the same space as before. Double um, the output. You know, when I first came to Outco, the growers told me, and a lot of the industry still believes this, that you, know, you can't flower under LEDs. And that's just a, you know, misconception, you know, handed down through, you know, growers. What's the light intensity that cannabis needs? And people say, well, you just hang the light three foot from the plant. Well, that's not an answer. We can actually measure, you know, how many photons are coming out. And I want to know what that number is. And what our study showed is that the higher light you have, the higher yields you'll have. We were putting intensity on plants that I never thought you could do, like poinsettias. If you were to put this high of light on a poinsettia, it would pretty much crumble and you know, fall apart. A lot of uh, phototoxicity, but cannabis loves light. So the more light we can put on, the better. If you think to general horticulture, that's something that was answered long, long ago. But it just hasn't cannabis yet. And so there's a lot of, I don't want to say easy, but very general research that we're being able to do um, and, and very quickly you know, elevate this industry because you know, it's been hidden for so long. So that a lot of those questions that should be answered haven't been answered yet. These are some of the skills a scientist can bring to an industry without a lot of evidence-based practices. There's so much more that can be done. I could probably work my whole lifetime, 40 hours, 80 hours a week doing research and just, just plant science of cannabis, and that won't be it. There'll be plenty more to do. There's so much we can do to rapidly make this industry you know, legit. I, I intend to stick with it. And Allison, as a lady scientist, is cutting through a sort of grass ceiling that exists in the heavily male-skewed cannabis industry. She attributes her desire to do so to her kick-ass mom. I was able to see my mom um, do big things in an industry that was ran by males. And I wonder if her mother is proud of her success in the cannabis world. My mother is very proud of me. You know, of course, at first she was a little concerned and cautious, but I think after being in this industry about a year and a half, she's seen some of the benefits it can do, and um, she understands my passion and supports me. And now she is one of 20 license holders in South Carolina to grow hemp. And you had a hand in that? I did have a hand in that, yeah. She's uh, pairing with Clemson University, and she's going to grow 20 acres of hemp, of hemp for CBD production. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, and uh, they're excited. You know, they took the land from cotton to uh, soybeans to cows and now hemp. She has brought science into the cannabis industry, and she may just bring cannabis into the family business. After all, if legalization spreads through the U.S., it's likely to be a cash crop. Absolutely. I, if I had to guess, I'd say four to five years and South Carolina will allow it. So maybe Allison got pulled into the family business after all. Heck, it may turn out to be 
a joint effort. This week's moment of Xenopus is a challenge. Can you count how many puns are in this episode? If so, email us at radscientistpod at gmail.com. First person to get the right answer will get a prize. Looking for a cool thing to do this weekend? I'm producing a science storytelling event at The Loft at UCSD. It's March 1st, 6.30 p.m., Friday night, and the theme for the night is, well, that was weird. There will be stories about sea lion pap smears, a large poop, mucus, cadavers, and more. You can find the event online on The Loft's website, or you can look for a link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Rad Scientist is produced by me, Margot Wall. This episode was written by myself with edits by Jill Gennaro. Our theme guitar riff is by Grant Fisher. Logo by Kyle Fisher, no relation. Music for this episode was by Culla, Julian Matthey, Poddington Bear, and Knoten. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director. Melanie Drogseth is program coordinator. Jill Linder is programming manager. Kinsey Moreland is podcast coordinator. Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is director of programming. This program is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund. If you like this episode, tell a friend or rate and review us on iTunes. Stay rad. Stay rad.